TV, comics, movie stars, hit singles and some toys. It's trivia and dirty jokes, an evening with the boys. Once is never good enough for something so fantastic. So here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Colossal classic. This is Gilbert Gottfried, and I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre, and this is Gilbert and Frank's Amazing Colossal Obsessions. And we have a return guest to the show. We do. Since we've already read his introduction, I'll <laughs> give you a short one. Uh, he starred in Good Times, Roots, and... Uh, and uh, Coming to America. Coming to America with Eddie Murphy. And a million other things. 704 Housing. Colossal Obsessions. Now, oh, and let's start off with you have a book. You want to say who it is? Yeah. Oh, wait. (laughs) 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 Although, I bet they know from those three credits. It was all moving along so smoothly. (laughs) I thought, ah, I'm not fucking this one up. So I forget to introduce the guest, which is a minor problem. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, John Amos. Gilbert, how are you? Hi, how good to, are good you? Good to see you again, buddy. <laughs> he needs no introduction, really. Welcome back, John. It doesn't hurt anything. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah. You have a short memory in this business, you know? John who? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's like, it feels like we just had you on yesterday. It was. It was about a year ago, I think. Maybe, maybe. Just about a year ago. Maybe 10 months. Something Somewhere like that. Somewhere in there. Now. Yes, sir. Uh, now, look, all of us have regrets in our lives, and I want to try to correct one now. Please. Okay, I'll start <laughs> off. When when you were, like, let go from good times. Fired. What, fired. <laughs> what do you mean, let go? I was trying to, I was trying trying to, to make, make it, it nice, right? You were fired. They kicked your ass out That's the door. That's right. Yes. Normally, it's said, take a hike. Yeah, yeah. They, they threw you the fuck out <laughs> of good times. <laughs> Yeah, what about it? Okay, so they wrote an episode to be the first one without you where your character off screen has a heart attack and dies. You know, Gilbert, there's there's a little bit of a mystery about that to me. I heard, of course, having been killed or kicked off the show, I don't know how I died. (laughs) But the rumor was that I died in an automobile accident while I was looking for a job. Now you're telling me- Oh, wait, that's even better. Yeah? Yeah. For who? <laughs> For me. You are fired. So it wasn't well, anyway, good you. Uh, the character either died in an automobile accident or, like you say... Uh, I thought a heart attack, but he died in an automobile accident? That was the looking word. For a jo- oh, that's looking very good. Looking for a job. Yeah, I think so. that was it, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Of course, I was dead, so I can't confirm <laughs> it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Norman says nothing but lovely things about you now, by the now. way. Well, I got Just nothing but, but, you know, the guy changed the face of television. Let's he face did. it. He did. And and uh, didn't he also, like, later on hire you for yeah, things? Yeah, we made, we made our piece, and later on he came back to me with another idea he had for a show called 704 Hauser Street, which was the address for Archie Bunker. And I and my family, which consisted of my, my TV wife, and I had a son on the show who was, a, to put a, a twist on things, was an ultra-conservative black man, okay? I mean, he was he, he, he was real conservative, okay? So we move into uh, Archie Bunker's old house, and we spun off from there. Didn't last long, but it was a hell of a good premise. Ahead of its time, that show. It was ahead yeah, of its time. It. Now, yeah. we got to get to the most important part of the interview. Please. <laughs> <laughs> when they did that show where your character dies in a car crash right. after they kicked your ass off the show. Right. Uh, Florida, your wife Florida, is walking around yes. and she wants to be strong for the family. Of so course. She's pretending like it's a day like any other day during the, you know, she's showing no emotion. All right. And then there's the famous ending where she's washing a big salad bowl and she either drops it by accident or flings it to the ground. And what does she scream out, John? Damn, damn, damn. <laughs> His life's complete. Yeah, that's it. Yes. Is that can, not it? Yeah, yes, that's exactly it. But yeah. if I can direct you now, Please. can you make it more gravelly and more black? Okay. <laughs> Take two. Okay. Damn, damn, damn. <laughs> oh, yes. Does that get it? Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Thank Director. Thank you, sir. John. <laughs> that... I'm directed by Gilbert Gottfried. I can retire now. <laughs> when yeah, I left. It's the bottom. After the last. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> after the last interview I did with you, I was on my way home and I said, oh, fuck. I didn't ask him to go damn, damn, damn. Well, you got it now, buddy. Yes. It's been bothering him since you were here. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry about oh, that. Oh, I feel so much better now. Good, good. Very few times can you correct something, that uh, problem you had in the This and a little x to have you on top of your game. <laughs> <laughs> now, John, I was yes, remiss, sir. too, because I don't think I shared with you uh, the, the fans' response to your episode, and people kind of went crazy, especially when you sang the McDonald's jingle. They loved it. Really? It was one of our more popular, sh- our most popular shows out of 160. You know that McDonald's jingle. It it, it resonates even after all these years. I th- I think I told you last time I was here. I went to see Tom Hanks in a um, Broadway play oh, he was yeah. doing, and um, I walked into his dressing room very humbly to get his autograph. I'm a Tom Hanks fan. Uh-huh. I walked to the door, and he broke into the McDonald's song, We so we finished up singing it together. Fantastic. He went on to tell me <laughs> that Good Times was one of his favorite shows and that my character was like a surrogate dad for him. He'd come home from school and watch the show, and he'd get scared when i take my belt off, you know, to whip J.J. Uh-huh. or one of the kids. <laughs> He's, he's quite a he's quite a character, and he just broke into the song with you. He just broke right into the song. I had to remember the lyrics. He had it, and we sang it. Yeah, it yep. was good with Anson Williams. Yeah, is in it too. Exactly, yeah. Anson Williams was in it. I don't know if Anson is still around. Still Are we Anson still with us? Yeah, yeah, he's hang, he's hanging good. around. That, but when that's, you... that's the worst thing you want to hear when you're an actor. What's that? Is you don't know if he's still with us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> True. 
Yeah, that's that happens a lot. But we, uh, I'll get, I'll get it to you and Paul because there Appreciate was it. what we, what we do is when we put an episode up, people tweet and people put stuff up on Facebook. Most definitely. And there was a, there was a lot, there was a long list of, of, uh, of, of raves. I'm glad to the, hear for that for the John Amos episode. Glad to hear that. I, I should say something for Anson Williams if yeah. he's out there listening. Yeah. He did say he, like, decided to move on to doing directing right. and writing. That's right. Mm-hmm. And and he he's very honest about it. And I was once talking to Anson Williams, and he said, well, I looked at myself and I said, I'm, I'm a passable actor and a sh- No, he goes, I'm a passable singer and a shit actor. <laughs> so I got to do something else. He directed a lot. Yeah, yeah, he had a big, yeah big no, TV he's had a very career. successful career. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, yes, sir, that we that that we didn't talk about last time, and I'm going to send you, and I'm going to send Paul uh, those raves. But um, we <laughs> this this came to our attention. Mm. Jimmy's dating Ann Coulter. Do you know anything about this? Jimmy, Jimmy who? Jimmy Walker. That, yes. Dating Ann Coulter. Yeah. That, I'd read it in the paper, but I mean, it was one. It was one of those rape rags. So I mean, national. <laughs> Norman national Lear confirms it that they came us. to a party. They were at a party that he. Uh, I Is thought Coulter got brain damage. I mean, what's, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> what is she doing with her career now that she's dating Jimmy Walker? <laughs> oh, no offense, Jimmy, but that's a hell of a combo when you think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't I, you think? Something yeah. weird going on I there. Something very was, strange going I on. I thought he was joking when he said that. No, I saw a picture of them in the, the National Enquirer, to, and evidently it's true. Yeah. Hard to believe, Jimmy, but true. Is Jimmy conservative? I don't know about that. Conservative <laughs> compared to what? <laughs> I don't know. I just couldn't understand that pairing. Yeah, that's two opposite ends of the spectrum, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you saw it and didn't believe it? No, I didn't believe. I just uh, this is somebody's idea of a joke, you know, like telling me Donald Trump is hanging out with uh, one of Martin Luther King's children. I, I don't believe it. <laughs> didn't add up. The other thing that Norman told us about seven hundred four Hauser Street does this ring a bell about you shaving your head and creating a continuity problem? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Thank you, Norman, for <laughs> not letting that nugget die. What had happened? I went to the I went to the barber shop. Before we started uh, shooting the show, and um, I got a haircut, and my story, my cover story was I fell asleep in the chair. The truth of it was, I just had one of my radical moments, and I told the guy, cut it all off. Or not all of it, but most of it. And I came in the studio, and Norman was apoplectic. He, <laughs> I think if he'd had a gun, he would have shot me. He said, what the hell are you doing, baby? God bless it. You're going to get a wig, and you're going to pay for it. And I did. And I got a wig, and I paid for it. He said, now, and don't ever do that again. I said, okay, Norman. Hey. I mean, you know, I walked in. He looked at me. And I thought he was going to have a stroke. I said, what's the matter? He said, your head. Look at your head. I said, I can't look at my head, but what do you see? I see a man that screwed up the whole sequence. So we rectified it. I got the haircut, and that was the end of that story. But we had some. The thing I loved about Norman was the, the exchange of passion. When he got pissed off at me for something I was doing or not doing, uh, he'd let me know about it. And the same with him, except that I wasn't the most diplomatic guy in those days. 
I always was threatening to hurt somebody. You know? I see. <laughs> I'm glad you're not that way anymore. I never did. I never did. I'm too old for that physical confrontation stuff. But after all those confrontations and the differences we had, we still love each other. At least I think he does. And I had to acknowledge his contribution to television. Oh, yeah. We'll never see his like again. No, I don't think so. Because the medium has changed so much. The man was... The first time I ever saw anything he'd done, I was being managed at that time by the famous Amos, Wally, Wally oh, Amos. Oh, Wally Amos. Oh. Famous Amos Cookies. So Wally called me and he said, hey, come on up to my office. I want to show you a tape of a show. And I did. And it was the pilot episode of All in the Family. And the only person that was still in, uh, Sally Struthers wasn't in that pilot oh, at the right. time. Different, different. I, I think Rob Reiner was there. Uh, well, the first pilot didn't have Rob Reiner or Sally Struthers. Yeah, that's that's right. Neither right. of them were there. Right. But when when the dialogue ensued, I, I I fell on the floor laughing. But I said, "There's no way they're going to let this get on the air, Norman." I mean, you know, I mean Wally, because Norman wasn't there. And ultimately, of course, it did get on the air, and that was a change in my career when Norman called me and said uh, he'd like me to come in and audition for the role. And when I Read for the role. Esther Roll was already cast as a wife. Uh-huh. And um, when I got finished, she looked at Norman and said, he'll do just fine. <laughs> so I said, well, thank you. And I got the job. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. And now back to the show. What had he seen you in that he decided that you should He be? had seen me in a play, a wonderful play that ironically enough was that uh, was directed um, – I think it was directed by Carl Reiner. Oh, no, no, I take it back. It was a play called um, uh, Norman Is That You? Oh, sure. And oh, I was, yeah. it was running at the Ebony Showcase Theater, oh, a little yeah. a black theater in, in Los Angeles. And But it was to fall down laughing. It was one of the funniest pieces I've ever been involved with. So the word got back to him, and he said, I heard you got a real funny thing going on stage there with that play. I'd like you to read for uh, good times, and I did, and the rest is history, as they say. They went up making I, a movie out of Norman. Is that you with yes. Red Fox? Oh, they that's did. right. Yeah, the George, that's that, right. That, that former yes, that former podcast guest George Schlatter directed. Yeah, and I, I remember you saying the last time about your temper and when you. Yeah, were, that was my younger, tempestuous days. And and you said something like. Uh, a couple of years of unemployment cured you of that. Yeah. There's nothing like the unemployment and the bills being due to make you get in line, <laughs> well, so to speak. You'd come from a violent sport in your own defense. I mean, you were you were, you were were a football player. Allegedly. Yeah. It, it was never confirmed. After you get cut from the 13th team, you start looking for other things to do, you know? I'll tell you also something that happened since you were last here is we lost Mary. Oh, Mary Tyler Moore passed uh, yes. yeah, since the last yeah, time that, we had you on the that, show. That was a shock, and it was that hurt a little bit because that she was she well she was America's sweetheart. Yeah. But what that show meant to me was it was an incredible opportunity to just have a recurring role and to work with those people. I watch the reruns now, and I still crack up when I see Ted Knight. I mean, the man oh, was. Man. He was magic. If, Gilbert, I don't know if you ever worked with somebody that makes you crack up all the time. It was hard to be around him and keep a straight face. This guy had some, he just had that comedic genius, you know, for that particular character. And I miss him. 
And it was a wonderful chemistry with Ted Knight, Mary, and, uh, of course, Gavin McLeod as Murray. Oh, yeah. You know, but Lou Grant was like the anchor for the show. I'm hopeful that Lou and I are going to work together again soon. There's been some talk about a project. It oh, won't be a series. you and Ed are going to do something together, yeah, huh? I said Lou. I meant yeah, Ed. Ed. Yeah, Ed yeah. Asner. He's been uh-huh. on this show and, with us. Yeah, and Ed was telling us on the show, like he had fights with Ted Knight and everything, but but also, same thing. He said he just couldn't believe how funny he was in that character. Oh, he that was It was tailor-made. Nobody could ever do that character as well as he did, I don't think. He, Ed told us that, that he and Gavin would go sit and watch Ted's performance right. from a distance just, and, to, just to see. And he loved it. I mean, Ted <laughs> loved it. He got a, I think I shared with you the last time, this guy was so into his character, he got a letter, a, hate, a, a hateful letter, hate mail, and the lady said, you are the most obnoxious, the most conceited, arrogant. Why they put up with you in that newsroom, to her, it was all real, you know. <laughs> Why they put up with you in that newsroom is beyond me. I would have fired you the first day. You're nothing. You're nothing. I hate you, Ted Knight. And he just came in, guys, guys, you won't believe this. This is beautiful. It was, damn, it was better, it was better than a nomination, That's you know. That's great. Because people were buying it. They bought into it 100%. And you look, you watch the shows now, even in the reruns, it still holds up. It's a brilliant show. It really was. The chemistry was perfect. Well, the writing, it all went back to the writing. Alan Burns and Jim Brooks, of course, Jim went on. Yes, of course. Tremendous success. Won an Oscar. Won an Oscar, but... The combination of the writing and the on-screen talent, it spoils you. You know, you see, when I when when I had the offer to do Good Times, I was still involved with the Mary Tyler Moore show, and I wasn't sure that I wanted to leave that to do anything. But then they told me, well, there'd be an appreciable increase in salary. Said so I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're one of the few actors that worked for arguably the two the two most prestigious television uh, uh, production companies of the of the decade, yeah, MTM I, and Tandem. Exactly. I, I was very fortunate. The timing could not have been better. It could not have been yeah. better. And I said to our listeners last time, look up those episodes that you were, that you were in Ted, the one where you co-host the show together, uh, where Mary comes up with the, the idea of the two of you. It's yeah. just wonderful. And also the one where you make the, the when I triumphant back, return, I, I and he's, hit, ooh. he's seething with jealousy. Ooh, yeah, it's just he, he could do jealousy better than anybody I've ever. <laughs> oh, you're so good in that episode. When I told him how much money I was making with the New York job, <clears throat> it was unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, I can't. Remember I really the, missed a guy. He was a he was a real talent. He was that. Yeah. So tell us. And Ted Knight, do you remember what? Which episode of Twilight Zone he was on? I remember him in Psycho. Oh, I don't remember he's him in, in Psycho. He's in Psycho for about five minutes in the end. In Really? Yeah. Now you're going to make me watch Psycho yeah. again. I'm not going to tell, tell you who he plays. Just check it. Just watch the last 20 minutes. All right. And you'll spot him. He's in the Twilight Zone episode starring another actor we both admire, Jack Warden. Oh, Jack Warden. Oh, I know. Jack Warden is yeah. on another planet I know the where one they you mean. keep him prisoner. I saw that one. Yeah. I remember I saw that episode. And and he's Was that Twilight Zone or Outer Limits? Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. And okay. and they have a guy who's I forget that actor's name, who's like the general who's in charge of everything. And one of the uh the soldiers behind the general was Ted Knight. That's cool. That's cool. Of course, I remember him narrating kids' shows 
when I was uh, he used to do the superhero shows. Oh, he used wow. to do he used to do uh, the, the Super Friends and and uh, DC DC Comics Justice League cartoons. Yes. He was big on that narrating Aquaman. Ted was? Yeah, he narrated uh, Aquaman cartoons and You know where he got that character from? There was a there was a uh, a, a TV personality back in the days, the, the early '60s through the '60s, named George Putnam. George Putnam, and he was a he put the C in conservative. <laughs> I mean, this guy really? was, he was really That's over the one. top. This is George Putnam, and then he'd go on, you know, like he whatever he had to say was the most important thing in the world. And when Ted was building his character, he said, "That's." That's the guy. So he That's fashioned him after George Putnam. I'd heard that the Ted uh, Jack Cassidy's character on the Richard Benjamin show, he and she helped inspire the Ted Baxter character. Possibly. Which possibly. is also, uh, which I have to get to the bottom of. I had the pleasure of working with Jack Cassidy on Broadway. We did a short-lived play at the Royale Theater, and that was an education for me as to the realities of business. We opened in a play called um, Tough to Get Help, directed by Carl Reiner. Opening night... At the Royal Theater, full house, I think it's 1,400 seats, couldn't get a seat to get in. We got a standing ovation, four curtain calls, and they canceled the, the show the same night. Now, like a fool, I come back to the theater the next night, <laughs> and, and of course I, had, I was playing a much older character. I had a body pad and had to get grayed up and all that stuff. So I said to the... Uh, the old, you know, the guy to call Pops always sits on a milk crate reading the racing forms. <laughs> and uh, he don't want to be bothered with nothing. So I said, uh, you mind letting me in my dressing room? He said, for what? I said, I want to get dressed. I got a show. He said, kid, you ain't got to do a show tonight. I said, why is that? He said, don't you read the papers? Don't you know anything about reviews? I said, no. My first time on Broadway, uh, what happened? He said, well... You're in for a little surprise. I'm saying, wow, we did so good. They're giving us the night off. Wow. (laughs) Come to find out, we got canceled. I mean, they blew the the critics came in. At that time, Clive Barnes. Oh, yeah. He was the the deciding factor as your career on Broadway. And staying ovation at the Royal Theater, everybody in the theater is standing up except Clive Barnes and his crew. And he's sitting there with his arms folded across his chest like, I can't believe I'm watching this. And sure enough, it got canceled. The power of the crowd of critics. Yeah, at that time. At that time. Despite what the audience was feeling. Wow. I mean, la- one woman laughed so hard she wet herself. They had to help her up the aisle. <laughs> wow. It, it was unbelievable, the laughs. I'd never heard laughs like that in a live theater before in my life. And we canceled. You canceled. and Jack Cassidy. Who else was in it? Uh, the late um, Lillian Heyman. Uh-huh. She played my wife, uh, Jack Cassidy, of course, and Jack quit. He quit the show five days before we were scheduled to open, and they brought in another actor, Dick O'Neill. Oh, I know that actor. You know Dick O'Neill, Gilbert. I'll show him your picture. I'll show. I'll show you his picture. He learned. I've never seen such a tremendous job of retaining dialogue in my life. He retained all the script that uh, Cassidy had been studying for a month or longer, even. Rehearsals and everything, he committed to the memory. No bug in his ear to feed him or anything. Whew, unbelievable. Never dropped one line. It threw, it changed the timing and the dynamics of the piece, of course, the appreciable difference between he and um, Jack Cassidy. But we did it and still got canceled. <laughs> Showbiz. Showbiz. Tell, tell us, uh, sir, that you're about your new project. 
which well, is uh, yeah, which is the what's going on with you? The, the, the it's a children's book. It's called A World Without Color, mm-hmm. and I got a wonderful um, couple of guys working with me on it. Actually, I'm working with them, and I'm honored to be working with Dennis Dennis rather Dennis Warburton is one of the writers, mm-hmm. and I'm writing it along with him. And Lenny Kenyon is the artist. It's an it's it's a a children's book with animation, sort of. We hopefully it'll it'll turn into an animated series, or there'll be an afterlife for it. But we think it's going to do very well in the schools, particularly with the lack of diversity from the administration, the present administration coming down. I think the country needs something that brings kids together, and particularly something that covers you know any type of uh, uh, insensitivity in regards to other people. And it's a good book. Uh, I think it's a good story. A little kid comes across, discovers the fact that the whole world is gray. So the book has no color when it starts out. But as he meets different people and he, they establish a bond together, the world starts to brighten. You know, the sun comes up, the leaves are green, and he starts to see different colors. So the, the object lesson is obviously aimed at kids that the better we treat each other, the brighter the world seems. And that's the message that we're going to be putting out there with this book, A World Without Color. Yeah, your man Paul was nice enough to send us uh, a PDF copy. Oh, you got and it. We read it, and it, yeah, and it was it was very, it's very touching, and it's a it's a fun idea. Thank you. It's Thank a fun you. idea because it's also a visual idea. Exactly. What made you want to write a children's book? Well, for myself, my own. If if you look at my high school yearbook, and I can confirm this, I'll send you a picture of my graduation picture. You know how they put your picture in your high school yeah, yearbook? Yeah, sure. Indicating what you want to do. Gilbert Gottfried, I want to become uh, one of the funniest people in the world <laughs> and talk bad about people. That would be... <laughs> I get paid for it. And get paid for it. That would be in your yearbook. So, <laughs> so mine said two things that, I, that were in my dreams. Uh, John hopes to play pro football one day for the New York Giants. Ha! And the other was New York School for Cartoonists and Illustrators because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a cartoonist. I thought that was the best job in the world. And I ultimately did go on to become a cartoonist where I would come up with the concepts as well as some of the punchlines. And I had a wonderful artist named by the name of Dennis McLean who would do the visuals. Incredible artist. So you might say that it's all come full circle for me and then I'm back to what I wanted to do in the beginning as a child, to That's be a cool. cartoonist and an illustrator. That's fun. That's funny. When I was a kid, I, I wanted to be a cartoonist really? for a while. And now look at you. Yeah. You are a cartoonist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's played a few. You voiced a few cartoons. Oh, yeah. You should show John your illustrations sometime. Oh, yeah. Not a yeah, lot of people know him. that about him. But I'd love to a, see it, he, man. We cartoonists got to stick together. Oh, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he, he also wrote a comic book. I'll be damned. What was the I comic wrote, book? I wrote... And I wish I, I, you know, like the schmuck I am, I should have, like, uh, collected, like, a thousand copies of it. Yeah. I wrote a copy of uh, Superman. So DC Comics yeah. let him write a, write, a, yeah. write an issue of Superman. You wrote a Superman story? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and they and published, they published it. it. Yeah. Good, but you got to, I got to make a copy of it. Xerox, <laughs> I got to see that. We'll get you one, John. Please, please. I'm going to hold you to that, man. Okay, I'll make sure, I definitely will. I'll make sure we get you gotta one. Got to be a collector's item. So it's called A World Without Color. A World Without Color. And when do we have, do we have any kind of a, a due date? Yeah, we we can anticipate the book um, John's got being his notes. released September 19th. September 19th, wonderful. Yes, sir. And not, the, too, not too far down the road. 
Great. And the hope is to turn it into uh, an animated series? I think the book will be successful, and then anything that follows will be contingent upon the success of the uh, of the book. Well, it's a very sweet idea and a very original idea. And, Thank you. And I have to tell you, last time you were here, yes, sir, you were wobbling in with your foot in yeah, a my brace. Because I, I, I'd had Achilles tendon surgery. And then shortly after that, both Frank and I... <laughs> Yes. Wandering around with these large boots. Shortly after but, you left, we both broke. I broke my foot, and he broke his I, ankle. I broke my ankle. Just getting up out of a chair. I, it was like you. Oh, you're stepped. a real athlete. You just <laughs> couldn't. I was in there out of the chair. It was a low chair. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't you, believe that. You broke your ankle stepping off a curb. Achilles I broke tendon. He, Same broke, thing. he tore his Achilles tendon. Yeah. I broke mine running for a bus. Yeah. Which is embarrassing. I broke mine standing up. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go, John. And now look at the three of us. Yeah, the three of us. Cast free. Cast free. We'll be dead in another hour. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Probably. John, thanks for coming back, man. We're going to get the word out about the book. Before you go. Yes, sir. Before you go, if you can, and remember... Gravelly and black. <laughs> Can oh, you is do there it any other way? Don't do it Swedish. <laughs> Can you do Florida's line after she smashes the ball uh, when uh, when you've got killed in a car crash? <laughs> Good times. Something to the effect of "Damn, damn." Damn. Oh, it's so Thank good. You. It's so good. It's like Esther is back with us. <laughs> Thank you, Gilbert. John, you're the best sport in the sir. world. Well, we will get the word out about the book. Good deal. Oh, what's the name of the book again? It is A, a world, world Without, without color. color. Okay. And you're going to send John your damn Superman comic. Oh, I definitely will. Okay. This has been uh, Gilbert and Frank's amazing colossal obsessions. And we've had a return guest today, John Amos, who is best known for this line. <laughs> damn. Damn. Thank you, John. John, God bless you. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll see you again, pal. We'll see you again. Colossal Obsessions.